and shine pinchers welcome back to another episode of just a quick pinch i'm your host connie wang Alrighty, so if you are burned out in your clinical career if you are burned out in your current healthcare career there might be a solution for you guys and that solution might be working in healthcare technology I think often when we think about healthcare, we only think about that clinical perspective. But when you look at, you know, all the contributors in the field, how we can really make a difference in our patients' lives, sometimes clinical just isn't the best fit for everyone. And that is totally okay. You can still make a big difference in your patients' lives. Maybe it's by working in the healthcare technology area. So today's episode, I speak with Lauren from Hey Health Tech. She was on previously for one of our chief complaints. And today we have a full episode about making that transition from working in a clinical position to now working in healthcare technology. Maybe you want a more remote job maybe you want a job working for a startup or for an established company as well we talk about how to optimize your linkedin profiles your resumes applying to these jobs so without further ado let's get into the main episode if you like what you heard please leave a rating and review on apple Podcasts and spotify now on to the main episode hit it editing connie <laughs> Alrighty, Lauren, I am so excited to have you on. So the first thing I wanted to ask you was that you started as a retail pharmacist, right? Mm -hmm. And then you transitioned from that to clinical pharmacy for an online pharmacy. And then afterwards, your first experience in terms of getting like a non-clinical role was actually going from a customer experience manager to then a project manager to then a product manager. So tell yeah. us a bit about how you went around creating and pitching your role to becoming a project manager. Yeah, I was working in sort of our customer experience department as a pharmacist, answering the phones with clinical questions, things that people wanted to ask when they called into the pharmacy. But when you're a part of that type of team, as anybody who has worked in you know, customer service of any kind, even in restaurants knows, when you're working directly with the public, you kind of see all of the problems that can happen. You can kind of start pinpointing some of the root causes of those problems and so what started happening was I was like, I've seen the same thing happen like five times. Maybe I should look into it and see actually what's causing the problem. And I first started kind of handling some of those things on my own, doing projects as a part of my my day-to-day. -day. Um, so when it came time for me to say like, hey, I actually really love doing this work and think I'd be more valuable if I was just doing this full time instead of doing it as like sort of a side thing. I had already done some of the work to prove that it was worth pursuing mm. um, and that I was able to actually close some of the gaps that I was seeing. And so I don't always recommend that people pick up extra stuff, right? If they can, if they can help it, because, you know, we already work hard enough as it is and people are getting burned out. But when you actually are doing it from a place of true curiosity and also maybe selfishly I thought that it would it would drive call volume down it would make my my first part of my job a little easier <laughs> <You're> like easier <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um it just it was coming from like true passion um and so yeah I went to my manager and I said look you know that I've been doing some of this extra work I think that it's really having an impact here are some of the projects that I've done so far I didn't even really know what I was asking for but I knew I was asking to do more of it and how could we make that happen? Mm. So it sounds like you almost like in a way without intending to like almost created a portfolio of your work first and then was like, this can change more things for us, right? Exactly. How did you, were there specific like phrases or anything that you used when you were pitching to your employer? Like, are there any phrases for success in, in terms of like creating a really good pitch? I think that, you know, you need to know who your audience is first, right? Like what okay. did they care about? Um, and so I was working for the director of operations. He cared about things like, you know, what type of experience are our patients having? 
Um, but also what impact is this having on the team? How can we scale what we're currently doing? And basically, how can we control costs, right? And so pitching things like we can control costs by driving down call volume, by fixing the root mm. cause of some of these problems. Um, and you've seen that we can already do this. You've seen that I've already done some of this work. Here are some examples here, here, and here. Um, even if you're just manually tallying it yourself, right? It doesn't have to be fancy. You don't need any spreadsheets. You don't need an analyst to help you. But any documentation that you've used um, can can sort of help pitch it. And like I said, I you know, it's not like I said, oh, I want to be a project manager. I think leaving it mm. open and um, even if you don't know what you're asking for, saying, I know that I have, I've proved some value here and I'm really enjoying it. I think it's going to help you. I think it's going to help the customer. I think it's going to help the company. Um, and then having a conversation back and forth about the how is really how to start opening up that conversation. So now currently you're working as a product manager then, right? Yeah, that's right. What is like the day-to-day -day life of a project manager? I'm sure that a lot of pharmacists are listening to this and like they've heard of the title before, they might have seen it, but they don't actually know, you know, what like the day-to-day -day entails. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of meetings, uh, which at yeah. first is like really exciting when you've worked in healthcare it's kind of like exciting to be in a meeting. You're like, oh, what do we discuss? We're going to fix problems, <laughs> right? I'm going to grab this. my coffee. Yeah, right. Um, because yeah. I was so used to working just one-on-one -on -one with patients. Um, but uh, sometimes you tire of the meetings. They get old after a while. But uh, <laughs> in my role, I do... Meetings aren't what they're cracked up to be. <laughs> no, they aren't. <laughs> um, the whole like that, e that meeting could have been an email thing is so yep, real. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, day to day, I, I'm in a lot of meetings. And really, that's because we're trying to constantly get alignment around where the company is going, what the strategy is, and how each um, piece of my work, as well as fellow product managers, are sort of fitting in to those overall goals. We're making sure mm -hmm. that if we're touching parts of the product that affect others, that we're having conversations about what that looks like. So I always sort of use something like social media as an example because people are used to it. But say you're a product manager at Instagram and you are in charge of the stories feature and that's your product. Um, you wouldn't change, make a change to like what happens when you hit the like button um, or the heart icon without also talking to the product manager who is in charge of what the feed looks like on Instagram because mm. that feature exists in both places. And so if you change it in one spot and not in the other, that's going to confuse people. So similarly, that's sort of how product managers work together, even in non-social media spaces as well. Um, so working with other product managers, working with leadership to make sure that we're impacting our company goals, meeting with engineers, because essentially product managers are documenting what the product needs to do and how it needs to do it. So that somebody who does coding, which is not me, um, can actually build the thing. Um, so lots of that and lots of documentation. So I spend a lot of my time writing. So you actually have, you've created your own health tech job board, which I thought was super awesome. It's such a great resource. I actually sent it to some friends the second I found oh, it. I was like, you guys have to check this out. And I'm interviewing <laughs> her. Yeah. And they all loved it. Um, but I think one thing that can make it kind of intimidating when you're looking for a new job is just like, if you're really used to that clinical side, it's like, we know that verbiage, we know those descriptors of the job. But then all of a sudden, when you go and you look for a new job, you see things like 
product manager and then project manager and then you see managers of all these things or like director of operations right mm-hmm. um could you just describe really briefly i know every company is probably different with this but just like the high level like what is the difference between project versus product manager that's something where i looked that up and i was like oh i didn't realize there were like differences yeah yeah it doesn't help that like the all of the they're all pms and they all call themselves pms yes. and so you're like wait what kind of pm are you um <laughs> yeah so i guess i'll start backwards with products since i just talked a little bit about my day-to-day um product managers mm-hmm. are working with engineers they are working on um some of the more technical features that exist in a product um they're also doing okay. a lot of the strategy work around where is this product going do we have product market fit um, you know, what, how do we plan one, two, three, five, ten years in advance about, um, the direction of our product, whereas project managers are a bit more tactical and less strategy focused. Um, they might okay. handle the implementation of a specific product launch. So say you're building a feature for a, a clinical team at a health tech company, as an example, Um, The project manager may make sure that the rollout of that feature is successful. Um, They work with the product manager to make sure that they're tracking against metrics and that things are going well. They're getting feedback to the right parties about how the clinical team is handling it, um, that sort of thing. So project managers tend to be, and like you said, this can be different everywhere, not to say that project managers aren't more technical or can't be more technical in nature, But usually um, the work that they're doing is implementation focused or operational um, in nature and less, less engineering focused. Got it. Oh, that totally makes sense then. They could use different words besides the P's though. Yeah, the P's are so confusing. (laughs) Yeah, I noticed that when I was like browsing on the job board and it actually got me thinking too, like I have a lot of friends that want to jump in from like, say like retail pharmacy to like a different um, sector of something, even if it's just like, if it's still like clinical facing, but it's more remote. Mm-hmm. What would you tell someone if they've had years and years and years of retail experience, right? But what's making them feel anxious is the thought of having to just start over again in a new job and maybe like take an entry level job. Or like, do they even have to take entry level jobs if they've had years and years of retail work? It's a great question. Uh, it depends on it depends on the role. So I guess first, if um, someone is looking to transition to something completely non-traditional, Um, Mm. say you want to be a data analyst and you don't have explicit experience being a data analyst, it's possible that you may need to start in an entry-level analyst role. Similarly, in products, I tend to see that a bit as well, where people do tend to enter in the more lower-level product or entry-level product roles if they're transitioning from something else. The good news about a lot of these tech roles is that even if you are starting from a a lower position of seniority than you're used to as a clinician, often, depending on whatever uh, your specialty was, often the pay can be still comparable. So it's not like you're taking Mm. a a cut on seniority and also a cut on pay. Um, It can often be quite comparable. And then in other scenarios, you you really don't need to start at the bottom. You have experience. Um, Take project management as an example. Um, I like to tell people that they should start thinking about every single one of their patients as a mini project. They really are, right? Mm. You're managing the outcomes of what happens to that specific patient. Um, You're handling the plan from start to finish. 
of exactly what treatment is appropriate for that patient. So you do have project management experience. You don't have to start from the bottom. You may just have never had the title before or like framed your work in that way before. That is such a good way to think about it as like your patients as their own mini projects because like even if you think about it this way, like no two patients are the same. Mm-hmm. You need to adapt new skills even if like the two conditions are the same. Um, what about – so like when we think about transferable skills, it's, let's let's think like someone's applying to a job, right? And they know they have so much to offer from all of their years of working in retail or working in some other sort of clinical job. What are some exper- some examples of good transferable skills that go between – working clinical to now non-clinical or even remote, I guess? Uh, so there's, I mean, the first one is truly empathy. I You won't meet a clinician mm. that isn't empathetic and doesn't always have the patient front and center in their mind. That is really transferable. When people think tech, I feel like they hear something that feels kind of sterile and cold, but yes. really... Yep. <laughs> It's not it at all. The future of tech is really building more personalized experiences that feel personal to you um, and that feel like, you know, the company had you in mind, right, when they built it. So that empathy and that thought of patient first can really translate into tech when it comes to building products that people really want personalized to them, right? Like when I order groceries from Instacart, I want them to pre-build my cart based on all of the things that they know that I like because I'm constantly ordering there. Um, And people have, clinicians have that same sort of thing with patients too, right? Like you're asking them Mm. about their family and their children or, you know, have they gone back to that restaurant that they told you about the last time that you saw them? Like there's always like connection and uh, relationship building that happens on the clinician side that is really transferable to what happens in tech. Um, even if it's not just about building a product for the end user, relationships are extremely important in working in tech as well. It's all about communication. It's all about aligning around what is important. And so the ability to build relationships with coworkers, um, as well as stakeholders, whether they work at your company or you're partnering with another company is transferable anywhere. Another transferable skill that clinicians tend to forget that they have, but they use it all the time, is their ability to communicate really complex information in a way that a layperson will understand. And this is super key in any tech environment. Um, You know, the things that are being built are really technical in nature, can be really complicated, and I don't want that to scare people. You don't have to be technical to work in tech. Um, Mm -hmm. But... Being able to communicate things in a way that is clear to your stakeholders or, for me, clear to the engineers that are going to be building the products that that I need um, is is a skill that probably gets overlooked, and clinicians are doing it every day. Mm. Oh my gosh, I love that because that is something that I think is kind of like an art to being a clinician and something that I've realized as a new grad is like you go through school thinking that you know how to explain something but then when you go into the real world and you're explaining it you're trying to like meet patients in the middle and suddenly you realize you're like do I know this thing enough to be able to explain it in a certain way yeah. and so like after years I'm sure of working as a clinician then that gives you such a good skill of being able to just com- communicate like I feel like so much of my job and what I thought I was going into I didn't realize how much communication really impacts all of that mm-hmm Absolutely. One more that that comes up is that I think that 
too often, and now these are all soft skills, right? And I think that people hear tech and they're like, I need all these hard skills. I need to know mm-hmm. how to use all these different tools. And that's helpful too. Um, but one of the other soft skills is truly just being able to learn quickly. Clinicians have been through a lot of school. They are constantly learning about new things that are coming out on the market, new ways that they can do certain procedures, uh, new dosage recommendations that they have to incorporate, and they're constant learners. And I think that it's really discounted that your our learning never stops, and that's the same in the corporate world too. I think we look at what's happening in the corporate world, and we think that these people went to business school and they just have it all figured out, and they know all the answers, but really every, <laughs> yeah. everybody's learning. Um, and so I think that that skill um, – is, is constantly needed in business. No one wants to create mm-hmm. a stagnant product that doesn't evolve. And so people that are curious, constantly learning, constantly sort of pushing what's next, what's next, um, is, is a transferable skill that I think is highly underrated and um, will serve you well, especially if you're moving to something non-traditional. I think that that's a way that you can market yourself. You can say, well, I, I know a lot of the healthcare background, and I feel really confident that I can learn this other stuff, right? You shouldn't say stuff, but what are <laughs> X, y, X, Y, and Z that you don't yeah. know? You know, be honest about it, um, but know that you have a proven track record of learning complex information and learning it quickly and then applying it in pretty high-stakes situations. You know, it's really interesting. I feel like we're always so quick to discredit our soft skills, when in reality, it's kind of goes back to that conversation we had earlier about how there are certain things that AI and technology just cannot replace. And that's like the human warmth of like empathy, the human way of communicating, or like you said, like the human way of like learning and things like that. Um, So it's it's really nice to hear from someone that, you know, sees a lot of people like applying and sees all these applications to know that soft skills really mean a lot. They do. Now, communicating how you apply them is is tough, right? Because it's not just a matter of like, Mm. oh, I have a skills section on the side of my resume and it says communication. You've kind of got to show a little bit more (laughs) around like, how are you a good communicator? But yes, absolutely. They're just as important as those hard skills. Do you have any like examples of like a good way that communication is a really good way to, it's very broad and we all need good communication skills. But like, what are some like more specific examples that someone can show that they're a good communicator in that one column in their resume, you know? Mm -hmm. This may be a little bit of a cop out because it's not patient communication specifically, but one of the things that I see, I do resume reviews for people quite often. And one thing Mm. that I'll see is that I can tell that, like, I can tell that they're a good communicator from what I'm reading, but what is often missed in the bullet point is giving me more context around the how you communicated and the why and what the impact was. Mm. And so, you know, Maybe you led a lunch and learn or, you know, a journal club or something like that. I can tell that you communicated, but A, the people that are reading those resumes that work in tech may not even know what journal club is. Uh, They're like, oh, what a cute (laughs) club for people that journal. (laughs) Exactly. So like they need more context. And also it's helpful to not just say that you, you led it, but also like what tool did you use? Like, did you create a PowerPoint presentation? Did you write, um, you know, a large memo? Who did it go to? Did it go to the head of your health system? Did it just go to yourself? You know, like, did you write it up and no one read it? Like, you need to build the context of what you did, how you accomplished it, 
um, and why it mattered. And then if you have it, this is always the cherry on top, the impact. If you can actually measure what the impact was, maybe it drove some huge quality initiative and here were the results or something like that, that's that's truly the cherry on top. I know for a lot of clinicians, it's hard to be able to sort of quantify the impact of what you do. You can feel it, but it's it's hard to put into words. That part's nice to have, but if you can mm-hmm. give me a little bit more context around the how you're doing it, is it written, is it verbal, are you, uh, you know, FaceTiming with people through, for a telehealth platform, are you emailing, or is it all face-to-face, even communicating in charts, you know, you have to be able to do that in a succinct way where other people can actually grasp what's going on. Um, there's a lot more context to be built around the how and the who is receiving it and, and the impact. Got it. That's so helpful. That's something that I never even would have thought about, but it makes so much sense because a lot of these people on the other side of reviewing these resumes and these applications aren't going to know exactly. Like it's, it's easy for us to just assume that they know when we come from that world. Yeah, they're often recruiters that don't have clinical background. It's really nice hearing like how passionate you are about that intersection between, you know, tech and how it can serve us as people. What are some advancements that are going on in the health tech field that we might not know about? Uh, well, the, the we not the we might not know about part is probably hard because the first thing that came to mind was AI and like everybody's talking about AI. Uh, mm. So, but I think that um, what when people hear AI and they hear about something like medicine, it can be really scary, right? Because we mm. associate artificial intelligence with like this again cold, sterile, sort of like robotic type of situation um where you're going to be getting (laughs) you know care from some huge entity and not a real person um i think the people that really care about this space care about ai being used to create more personalized experiences and being able to scale the work that clinicians are doing um rather than you know, replacing clinicians or replacing anything that's that's happening today when it comes to face-to-face work with, uh, with patients. Um, I think that there's also just some really good, like, telehealth options out there that, to me, are really exciting from, you know, an, an equity perspective. I think anyone who has gone through a clinical program has had some sort of training about making sure that we're providing care in an equitable way. It's in as many cases as we can, we're making sure that we provide it to people that um, are low income, maybe live in rural areas um, and just can't access care the way other people can that maybe live in large urban areas or have lots of funds at their disposal. So I think a lot of these telehealth options are really interesting um, and really give access to the types of services that people used to only get in in big cities. Um, So that's really exciting to me too, especially in the mental health space. That makes a lot of sense. And I I really love what you said about how the idea with tech and AI being in healthcare is not the thought that like it could replace what we do, but maybe that it could help streamline things so that we can do what we do even better. Like we could maybe even have more time with patients, spend more attention on them instead of rushing to fulfill things that AI could do. A hundred percent. Or just that concept of like sometimes... You know, we talk about patients wanting a second opinion. I think that we forget Mm. as clinicians that like sometimes it's nice for us too. And I don't know if you've experienced this. I know that you just recently started in your new role. But when you're new, it's nice to just have that sort of reassurance 
Um, sometimes you get that from another clinician in the practice um, or a mentor. Others aren't that lucky, right? And they're finding that when they first start in their roles, it's like a really scary place to be. Patients' lives are in your hands. You're making decisions um, that you know maybe you don't feel 100% ready for. AI can also help with that as well. You know, just giving you sort of that sense of okay, like a way to double check what you thought. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think could really empower some of our younger clinicians. 100%. That is such a good way to put it because I feel like, you know, when patients think about their provider, they think like, oh, like you should know all the answers. You either know it or you don't. But then from the new clinician side, it's like, no, like I – I know it, but but do I know it? Like, is this it? Is is this what it's supposed yeah. to look like, or like, what am I really looking at here? And so that would be, oh my gosh, I could only imagine if I'm like, you know, like in a filling and something looks funky to just take a picture of it and then like have some AI tell me like, yep, this is it or something or like only right here. Yeah. That would be so helpful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we talk about waste in in healthcare, and mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it's not fraudulent or like anybody trying to create waste in in the system. It's like maybe you made the wrong call or maybe, you know, it could have been done in a more efficient way or maybe a different procedure would have been covered through their insurance that you didn't know about and you called for this other thing. There are so many small decisions that happen along the way that goes into this like larger ecosystem. And so, yes, if there was some decision support um, at each of those intervals, I think we'd all we would we as clinicians would benefit but certainly the patients would benefit in the end as well yeah i'm sure now for someone that is looking for a new type of role in healthcare tech let's say like they're trying to meet new people out there but they just don't really know where to start what are some good networking opportunities for people for more people to meet people and really just get that foot in the door well, luckily, I think the community of clinicians in the space is growing. And if I have anything to do with it, I will make sure that it continues to grow. Um, I think yeah. that LinkedIn is like, it's such a cliche, but it's also the best place for professional networking that I know right now. Um, it's scalable. You don't have to spend a lot of money to meet people in person. Um, you can sort of do quick keyword searches and just like magically find people Mm. that you never would have found otherwise. And that's where I first started to find my community around this. Um, there are, you know, there are some people that are pretty vocal in this space and you should definitely start following them and their newsletters. And then the more you sort of get entrenched in this world, you'll find that there are small maybe private LinkedIn groups that are also happening as well, where, as an example, I'm part of a, a pharmacist in product LinkedIn group where it's it's tiny and we feel like we're this really niche community and you almost feel like, oh my gosh, I found my people. Like I, I was the only <laughs> one where I work. Were you the only one where you work? And it, because this is not like a common path, right, that people know about. And so it's really nice to be able to bounce yeah. things off of each other. Um But I say that with the caveat that LinkedIn is going to feel like a lot of work if you're just doing, you know, the the searching for people or the cold outreach to people. What's also really beneficial and will start allowing people to come to you is having an optimized profile where you have some of the keywords that others might be looking for so they can find you. Mm. Um, And also just starting to you know, post a little bit about your curiosities in the space, 
um, even if it's just posting other people's words, and I don't mean stealing, but like if you find an interesting article, post it with like a sentence about your thoughts or a question or a poll for others. The more you start talking about it, the more people will begin finding you. Um, and it, there's nothing like bigger right now than building in public and talking about what you're doing as you're doing it. You're not expected to know all of the answers as you're as you're posting on social media or you're entering a career pivot. And I think it could be really interesting to see some of these clinicians really harness that energy, go on LinkedIn and start talking about this journey, documenting it because other clinicians need to see it too. And so I think organically, everyone will start finding each other more and more. Um, Aside from that, there's always in-person events that are happening. Um, There are plenty of health tech conferences that happen throughout the year. Um, You know, sometimes it's called digital health. Sometimes it's healthcare technology. Definitely search all the keywords. Um, But meeting people in person is always really nice as well. And then there are groups like health tech nerds that has a community of like thousands um, where you can meet like-minded people that are interested in these types of things. And honestly, it's the best thing you can do for your career. Um, You know, they say that your network is your net worth. And honestly, it's so true um, that people will start recognizing you. They'll start bringing you in and start honestly mentioning your name when opportunities come up. That can be the best way to make this transition. It's interesting. As I'm hearing you, you know, talk about the transition, I feel like what I'm realizing is a lot of what we want is really just once we find a way to overcome that hump of imposter syndrome, because I'm just like putting myself, you know, in that person's shoes, signing up for LinkedIn and thinking like, how am I going to market myself as someone in this field when I have no experience? And so I love that tip that you said of, you know, putting those keywords in your bio. It takes like five seconds. They don't need to know if you have experience, how much experience you have in that or not. And then also just like reposting what other people are saying with that. Like if you, it's okay if you don't have the confidence to make your own content, that that takes a lot of confidence and authority in the space, Mm -hmm. but at least you could create your own little, it sounds like pocket of authority by reposting things. Yeah, exactly. Finding, there's, there's a lot to be said for people that are sort of curators of all of the noise that's out there because there's a lot of information and for somebody who's just coming across it, it can be really overwhelming so yeah, becoming that person that like once a week you're sort of bringing to people some new article that you read and and allowing others to just comment with their thoughts in the comment section. You don't really need to have your own opinion unless you have one. That's great. Um, but you can just invite conversation. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, to your point, like it, being a content creator um, can feel really overwhelming for people. But that's that's not the ask here, right? It's just leading with curiosity and finding small ways that you can start engaging in the conversation. Another question I have is you, I I feel like when you work remote, kind of like what you said, you have to be very good about your time management and boundaries. I want to hear if you have any productivity hacks. Let's say like you have like a hundred emails to get through and you also have a lot of stuff. How do you approach, you know, having like these hundreds of emails to get to and like tackling these? Yeah. You know, this is something I haven't really thought about a lot until just now that you put it this way. But one of the things that's really different Mm. from my role is that product managers and project managers, too, uh, throwing all the P's in there, program (laughs) managers, too. um, (laughs) There's a lot more. Actually, I'll back up just one step. So tech companies, even those that are, are, you know, ultimately saving 
people's lives because they're building technologies that are used for healthcare, um, are are always looking to build the most high priority thing next, right? The, Mm -hmm. the, the luxury of working in an environment where you're not directly focused on patient care is that you can spend the time thinking through the strategy around what you should tackle first and what is the most important thing that needs to get done that day in order to move the needle forward. I find that Mm. holistically different from what's happening to you in clinical practice. You are handling for the most Mm -hmm. part, unless you have like really strict scheduling guidelines. And especially this was not happening to me at retail pharmacy because the prescriptions just came in at, at will. Right. And people can pick right. pick up time based on nothing, just based on when they're going to be out doing their grocery shopping. Um, and so the things <laughs> that I was, <laughs> the things that I was doing as a retail pharmacist were really, um, very little could I do based on the priority. Um, sure, if something came in for an antibiotic, could we prioritize that over something that was more long-term, maybe wasn't as urgent? Yes. But um, one of the luxuries I have is being able to every day look at my schedule and say, what's the most important thing that needs to get done and what else can wait? And the, the good news is most of it can wait when you're not directly working with patients. So if I have 100 emails, I'm using those same skills to sort of think less... I was very queue-based as a retail pharmacist, right? Like we Mm. had a queue of work that needed to get done and I wasn't happy until it was cleared. Um, But now I can sort of look at my inbox and say, okay, which is the most important thing? I'll do that first. Or I have five minutes. What do I have time for? I'll do that first. Uh, So I just approach my work in a completely different way than I think you're taught to do as a clinician. Um. And sometimes it doesn't all get done. And that's okay in my line of work. It's okay if I focused on the most important things. So I have a couple of things. Oh, maybe one of them isn't here. I have a productivity <laughs> planner that I use. Oh, I love that. Um, I got it on Amazon. It's called mm-hmm. just productivity planner. And it forces you to list your top three things that need to happen. The top most important things that need to happen that day. And then it actually asks you to like, estimate how much time you think each of those things is going to take. And then after you do them, you're actually supposed to put in the actual amount of time that it took. So you get better over time at predicting how long things take you. That's been really awesome to have. And the second thing is I do have this one handy. Um, So that That is a game changer, by the way. (laughs) It's amazing because it's just not like how my brain would normally think. Yeah, me neither. And then if you don't get it done, it's okay. You just roll it over to the next day. That can be your most important thing for the next day. Or maybe it's bumped down by some other things that come up. Um, And one of the techniques that this planner uses is called the Pomodoro. Oh, yes. I think I've heard heard of of it. I think it's like, is it like 25 minutes of work followed by five minutes of rest? Yes. Yes. I I never remember if it's 20 or 25 followed by the five, but yes. Yeah. Exactly that that concept. And so your... um, you're basically telling, you're estimating how many Pomodoros, if you will, like calling that a measure of time, it's going to take you to accomplish a certain goal. And so similarly, I have a Pomodoro timer um, that I can use to like, if I really need to focus on something, um, you can set this timer. I mean, you can do it on your phone too, but this was just really cute. Uh, So I got this. (laughs) I love it. And it helps me stay focused for whatever period of time I want from five minutes to an hour. 
Oh my gosh, that is such a game changer. I've really, see, like, I've heard of these things, but I love how you approach it in terms of, like, what can move the needle? Because I think sometimes people that work in healthcare, we're very, like, perfectionist and we're like, we need to get five things done. But then if we try to do all five, we end up the day with net zero done versus if we think okay let's systematically just move that needle get one thing done then over time the inevitable is that you'll get whatever you're trying to do done it's so obvious almost but i deal i yeah i still struggle with i'm a recovering perfectionist right i i was working in clinical care i totally get it um and it's hard not to be when you're working in healthcare because Truly, it matters that much. Like, if you don't get it right, mm-hmm. there could be big impacts. Um, so I really have loved that my job um, has forced me to sort of use that filter in all parts of my life. But that's not to say I get it right every every single time. I still want to get all the things done. Um, <laughs> and it still makes me sad when I don't. But um, if you start sort of reframing, especially also as a parent, too. Uh, if you start reframing what's the most important thing that needs to happen, um, you you can at least look at your to-do list at the end of the day and realize that you did the most important things, even though maybe not everything got done. So now let's say this person has followed all of our advice, right? They've thought about all of their transferable skills. They've looked through your job board and they've seen something that they want to apply for. Um, they optimized their LinkedIn profile and started posting things and really, you know, like they've, they've really jumped into the field now and they've landed their dream job. Let's talk about working remote because I feel like, okay, so most days I'm like, man, working remote would be awesome when I'm like back in someone's last tooth and I'm like, oh, I really wish I was remote right now. For the most <laughs> part, working remote honestly sounds awesome. Did you feel that way when you switched from being in person to remote? Of course. Yeah. I was like, this is the dream. <laughs> It, it's that it's pros and cons. Yeah, especially for someone where like I realized a lot of times if I'm not like out and about talking to people, if I'm not having that like water cooler chat, you know, at work and stuff like that, I actually feel really isolated. And I, I personally am not someone that I think could be like really fully remote. So do you have any advice for anyone that's actually struggling with working remote, whether they're feeling isolated or unmotivated and you're just like disconnected um, from changing from being in a traditional office space or being with in person with people yeah I'll take a step back and first talk about what you just said about not feeling like you could be fully remote um I don't I think that that's pretty common and I think that first of all there's still yeah I I think that there are a lot of people out there that think like maybe that's not for me I need the engagement Um, So there are still a lot of great in-person and hybrid opportunities out there in tech. It is not all remote first. And so like health tech doesn't automatically mean remote. I do try to um, specifically put remote roles on my my job board because I think that that's what people are most interested in. Even if they're clinical in nature, um, finding a remote position is sometimes the dream for people. Um, But I do highly recommend that if you're completely changing into some new thing you know if you're if you're going from pharmacist to project manager like I did or going into product perhaps your first role you'd be better served if you weren't fully remote maybe a hot take Mm. but like I do think that having that support system around you is really important and um, being able to like you said meet at the water cooler just run into somebody in the hall and be like oh yeah I meant to ask you this thing 
Yeah. It's so much easier to do that in person than it is to like get the strength to be like, okay, I'm going to write this email, but like, is it really <laughs> worth an email? Like, this is such yeah. a silly question. Um, so, so those types of things I think, you know, are still really nice in person and certainly making both the transition to remote and non-traditional role at the same time is a lot. That could be very jarring. So first I went from, you know, clinician in person to clinician remote. Um, but I was actually still, I was in office, but I was remote to the patient. So Mm, it it. was, yeah, I was with a bunch of other pharmacists. I was with technicians, but our patients were not there. Um, We were chatting. We were on the phone. We were emailing with them. Um, Then I went full remote to my home office here. Um, So to back to your question around how to sort of optimize the remote um, atmosphere, though, I think there's a couple of things. I think if you have the space to do it, you should really make sure you have a dedicated space. I think one thing that remote work as well as, you know, everything that was going on in 2020 was that people were balancing so much that it was so easy to just grab your laptop and just continue working into the night after dinner. Oh, let me just finish this. Oh, let me just get ahead. And, um, I think I definitely started doing that because I was at home taking care of my kids. And so I felt like I didn't get enough done during the day. So I was hopping on later and eventually I had to just draw a boundary. And so I definitely recommend that people do that upfront when they first start, make sure that you have a dedicated space, make sure that when you're done for the day, you close your laptop and you walk away. You do not take it with you to the kitchen table. Um, you don't, Sometimes you don't even start your day at the kitchen table with a cup of coffee. Like your workspace is your workspace. That's one. Another is making sure that you set up frequent calls with other people that you work closely with. Even if it's just like half the time is to just catch up on something from a social perspective and the other half of the time is used to talk work stuff. Just connecting with people on a level that is not just about what do we need to accomplish on this Zoom call and what is the goal and the agenda for this call is really important. And then I think third, if you're working somewhere where they don't prioritize team building activities, um, team offsites where you can actually meet up with people or buddying you up with somebody who maybe lives close to you but not, you know, there's no co-working location, um, then be the one to bring that to your organization. Say, hey, these are some things that I think could really build the team culture and that are important to me, um, and, and be the one to, to start it. There's no reason that just because you're working remotely doesn't mean that you can't meet up with people. It just looks mm. a lot different. Got it. You could even like work with people like at a coffee shop or something if you were close enough to some people, now that I'm thinking about yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. I haven't had the opportunity to do that, but I think it would be awesome. And honestly... Well, maybe you already meant this, but yeah, you could have friends that work somewhere totally different, right? And mm, they don't have to be that. at your company. Yeah, they that you have friends in another company, you meet up somewhere, and sometimes just having like another person um, can be really helpful. I mean, I've seen this on, on TikTok and stuff too. People are like doing body doubling. Have you heard of this? No, what is that? <laughs> Basically, it's like a practice that I think is meant for people that have ADHD, Um, But there are some TikTokers that will just stream, like do live videos of them doing their work and that you can like, you can 
join in and watch and do your work too. But just the concept of somebody else being there and doing their work while you're doing your work can help you focus a lot more. Um, it Sometimes they'll like kind of speak up and be like, oh, I'm doing this. Like, how's it going for everybody? But other times it's like mostly silent. Um, and so I think that just having somebody else there sometimes has actually been proven to help productivity and focus. And one more quick question before we end off. This was something that I was actually thinking about earlier, but I forgot to mention earlier. What are some really good traits of managers? Because I feel like Mm. when we're in healthcare, in the schooling, it's kind of like we know how to do our clinical role. But when we see the word manager, all of a sudden we're like, okay, like it, it seems less clear. Maybe because, you know, the role of a manager is different in every type of manager role. But what do you think are some skills that are essential to being like a good, helpful, productive, efficient manager? I will. That's, that's a good question. I will answer the question with a question before I proceed so that I make sure you get what you learned out of this. Um, There are two types of managers, right? There are people that manage people and there's people that manage things do you have a preference on which way I answer? So I'm a product manager, but I don't actually manage people. I manage a product mm-hmm. versus an operations manager who might manage people. I can answer let's both. Let's do both. I just, we okay. can start. Yeah, let's let's do both. <laughs> okay. So I think one of the things that makes a great people manager, I think clinicians will, um, will probably understand this one, right? No matter what you do, you have somebody who's managing you um, and you have things that you love and maybe – don't love about that relationship. Um, I think a good manager gives their employees the space to come up with um, solutions on their own. I think there's a big difference between micromanagement and somebody who stays close enough to the problem that they can actually provide you with help when you need it. I certainly um, have experienced both. I've also experienced managers that aren't staying close enough to the problem so that when you have problems that come mm. up, they actually can't help you at all because they've stayed so far removed. Right. So it's like a, it's a fine balance. And I, you know, not not saying that any one way is, is best. What do you think is that fine line? Like, what is that difference between being a micromanager and then just being a good manager that's there for you? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that the first thing is that it's not a one-size-fits-all sort of approach. The best managers will mm-hmm. actually ask you how you'd like to be managed, and they will try to change their style to accommodate what's best for you. That's really difficult, mm-hmm. and if you have a lot of employees, it's maybe not possible, but if you have a small team, there's no reason that you can't be accommodating your style based on what they most need. And and know that that also changes, right? Like maybe... Um, I'm, I'm trying to use these as an example, but hopefully for people that don't have the context exactly on what these roles are yet, this isn't too confusing. But <laughs> as an example, as a program manager, you may manage a program, but you also might manage other people under you that are project managers. So they sort of like work on the smaller projects that build up to this larger umbrella of a program, if you will. In some cases, you may have one person on your team who has, you know, a big launch date coming up. They're probably going to need your support more than somebody who's working on something that's like further out. Mm. In that case, you know, you need to realize that this type of support that you need to give that person in this moment is maybe different from the support that you give this person over here. And realizing that even though it's not equal in the moment, 
um, A, it all evens out. B, you're really meeting the team where they are um, and being there for the people that need you. Um, but I, I think that and that, that can change over time, right? Their thing launches, you congratulate them, you're close enough to know you can help them with any last minute things come up and then maybe your attention might need to, to move elsewhere. So it is a fine, it's a really hard balance. Um, I think that a micromanager stays close to the details and tries to control the details. Somebody mm. who's staying close enough to help stays aware of what's going on. They ask you if you need help, but they don't meddle unless you ask. I think that's the major difference. Got it. Yes. So, so there's the management of people, now the management of things. It's funny because similarly, it's, it's probably back to our conversation about um, prioritization. It's also about mm. giving the things the attention they need in the moment too. Um, so yes, it's not employees and it's not focusing on them in different ways based on what they need, but it might be that one project of yours or one part of your product needs a lot of attention. And one part is sort of like pretty smooth sailing for now. Um, the best managers of things know how to handle multiple things at once, but know how to prioritize what's most important. So yes, they're organized. Um, but it doesn't mean that they have to constantly organize all of the things at one time and they're overloading their plates. It means that they have systems in place to be able to analyze what the highest priority items are that need their attention. And they feel confident enough with how they've left the other things um, to be Got able it. to kind of leave them aside for for a little bit. Or, or come up with some cadence where you check in on this or that. Maybe it's um, the first day of every week, you're going in and you're looking at your metrics. Like, how did your product perform? Or how did your project go last week? You're maybe rearranging your upcoming week based on what you're seeing. Um, and so you're flexible. Uh, but you at least have a system in place that allows you to, um, you know, rethink your priorities on a pretty regular basis. Thank you so much for demystifying that. I feel like you opened up a whole world of health tech to us. You opened our eyes to all these different like little nuances and the roles that we might not know about. Um, if you could just leave everyone with where they can contact you, where they can sign up for your newsletter and also your job board, all of that information so that they can find you in the future. Yeah, of course. So I'm on Instagram and TikTok at Hey Health Tech. Um, in my bio, there's a link to all the things the newsletter, the job board, um, and also my DMs are always open if people have questions. Uh, love to answer it. Love to get ideas for the types of information or videos that people want to see, um, especially as it comes to breaking down these different roles and what people should be looking for. Mm -hmm. um, also, you can reach me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm there as well, sometimes posting my thoughts in a more written format versus video. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. This was fun. I'm so excited for you guys to check out this episode. If you like what you heard, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye! <laughs>